You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open Holy Scripture and read God's Word in the New Testament. I want to read from Matthew 16, and we'll begin reading at verse 13 and read through verse 23. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began To rebuke him, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The text for the sermon is, from Matthew 16 and beginning at verse 24. So we will read that now, Matthew 16, verse 24, through the end of the chapter. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would be Jesus' disciples. We would want to come after Him. But what does that mean? It was not at all so self-evident what that meant to the disciples who were there then when Jesus was on earth speaking face to face with them. Being disciples of Jesus 
But what does that really mean? It was a great idea, but it was not so clear what it all meant. As we read just before the text, it was one of the high points for the disciples, the confession of disciple Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Pretty exciting, enthusiastic confession. And Jesus replied with just as much enthusiasm, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. A great moment in the history of discipleship. And then right after that, we read that there was this very low point for the disciples. Peter said to Jesus, God forbid, Lord, this, this rejection and this suffering that you are talking about, that will never happen to you. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. A, a real low point in the history of discipleship. One moment Peter spoke not from flesh and blood, but from the Father who is in heaven. And the next moment we read that Peter's mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man, mouthpiece of Satan. At one moment Peter shows the best of discipleship, and the next moment Peter shows the worst of discipleship. Because it was not so self-evident to the closest disciples that the Christ, the Son of the living God, would have to suffer and be killed in order to come into his glory. That connection just wasn't obvious at all. That, that connection was the furthest thing from their minds. It, it didn't make sense from where they were. And perhaps the best way to understand their misunderstanding is the disciples with an eager eye on the kingdom of heaven and Jesus' glory and theirs with him. The disciples with an eye on the kingdom of heaven did not have their eye clearly on their deepest problem, which is sin. They thought that you could perhaps keep the best of the world kingdom, Jerusalem, power, fame, popularity, and, and then just add something of the kingdom of heaven. But if you factor in sin, if you factor in sin, then Jesus' suffering, Jesus' rejection, Jesus' death, the death of the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then that makes sense. Then that has to be because of sin. And it was, of course, Satan's greatest wish and strongest temptation that Jesus would not go on and deal with sin. That he would, that he would take a shortcut, as Peter suggested. 
that Jesus would take a, a shortcut to glory, not suffering. And it is Jesus' great triumph that he says, get behind me, Satan, out of the way, Satan, that I may proceed on this way to deal with the sin of God's people in this way through suffering to open the door finally to the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus takes this opportunity to teach about discipleship. You would be Jesus' disciples. You wish to come after him. You too want to come after him into the kingdom of heaven. Then you must go this strange way after him. It is a strange way to follow Jesus. Makes little sense from one perspective. From the perspective of flesh and blood. From the perspective of the things of man. From the perspective of the world. It's a strange way that the Lord Jesus bids his disciples, bids us to go. We would be tempted to, to just say, well, take the best of me, add a little Jesus, and it's all good. But again, it's not a strange way when you understand and factor in sin. Disciples, we must, must radically re-evaluate life out of the perspective of the kingdom of heaven, out of the perspective of the things of God. This re-evaluation of life and discipleship makes sense when you factor in sin. So we want to learn from the text what new values Jesus' disciples have when it comes to life and the kingdom of heaven. If you would follow Jesus, we will see first know the cost and know the loss and know the price and finally know the gain, the profit. If you would follow Jesus, know the cost, the loss, the price, and then the gain. The Lord says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. Shouldn't be hard to see from these words that what the Lord Jesus demands is, is radical. Give, give up everything. Give, give up yourself. Give up yourself. It, it overturns, throws upside down a hallway of thinking and being. Because we know we are by nature self-preserving, self-promoting, self-affirming, self-defending. We, we still see a lot of good in us. So see a lot of good, add a little Jesus, and it's good, right? But Jesus says, deny yourself. And, and then we shouldn't take that any less than what he is saying. It, it, it's not that Jesus says, well, you, you should deny yourself certain things. You have, have to give up certain things. Or you have to give up certain actions. And certainly that will be included. That will be included. That it, 
to, to deny yourself will take concrete shape in, in denying things and, and actions. But, but that's still not getting to the heart of what the Lord Jesus says. It, it's not a general call for asceticism, a life of giving up good things. Just because you're Jesus' disciples, you have to live a stingy life. No, we must deny ourselves who we are because of sin. Not just what we have or what we do, who we are. And, and this will touch our pride more than our things and our actions. It will touch our pride especially. It, it's an identity thing. I must say no to myself. My sin identity. And this is to be understood in light of what else the Lord Jesus says. He, he does right away say, follow me. Jesus becomes our whole identity. Follow me, he says. So that we find our existence, our identity in and with him. Because he would go ahead to suffer for our sin. So that in him, with him, we have entrance, the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Not an entrance in ourselves. No, no entrance apart from him. Him only and him completely. Denying ourselves, we follow him. And in him we have our new selves. And Jesus continues, take up your cross. Take up your cross. We shouldn't take that in the sense of the trials of life. Sometimes when, when we have a trial in our life, we might say, well, well, this is my cross to bear. Or we might say, Every, everyone has a different cross to bear. And that's fine. We can, we can say that loosely speaking. That's no problem. But, but that's not really the point here. The cross had a very specific meaning in, in the historical context for the disciples. It's not even yet for them that they, that they right away make the connection to Jesus' cross. Jesus, Jesus has said something about suffering and, and death, but nothing specific about a cross. So what are the disciples thinking? The, the cross was a Roman punishment for criminals. So that, that would be kind of the first thing that comes to mind. A cross. Roman punishment for criminals. It wasn't just painful, it was, but it was also shameful. Shame was big in a cross. It was, everything's public. And of course it was final. This was, this was a way at that time for the world kingdom to say, you are utterly totally, shamefully rejected. You do not belong here. And this is the worst way we can find to, to give you your exit. We, the world kingdom says, we do not identify with you. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Not in the sense that we must look for rejection and be objectionable people so that people can... No, not like that. But in the sense that we must not find our first identity with the world kingdom. 
Because the world kingdom is man's big sin project against God and his kingdom. Therefore, says the Lord Jesus, say no in the most radical way to the world kingdom. And it doesn't mean we have to stop living here. We don't go into monasteries. It doesn't mean we cannot enjoy many good things that the Lord gives in his creation to his children. No, we continue with what we have to do. We take up our life here and now, but we do it with a different system of values than, than this world has. We, we don't go on under the dominion of sin in rebellion against God. We take position over against sin, not, not giving into it. The world's way of being. And that's going to cost our place in the world. And from the perspective of the world kingdom, it is the highest cost sort of rejection. We would be considered rebellious to the world, hence the cross. But also this is connected with what Jesus says at the end of verse 24, follow me, take up your cross and Follow me. Because Jesus is our whole and new identity, our ultimate value. We give up our sin identity in the places where sin resides and thrives. Deny yourself, carry your cross, turn your back on sin, and follow Jesus. And that can go so far that sin's kingdom will turn its back on you as it did with your Lord. Deny yourself, take up your cross because of sin, sin in ourselves, sin in the world. Because clinging to myself, clinging to the world, will not get us into the kingdom of heaven. Only Jesus will, following him. Only clinging to Jesus, who went this way ahead of us, to open the way for sinners, for you, for me. Then the Lord Jesus goes on to speak about loss, loss and life, which is related to what we've just seen. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, for Jesus, will find it. What comes instinctively is is to save my life, the, the life I know, I have, by nature, by, by instinct, this life, clinging to ourselves, clinging to who we are in our deepest desires and motives, trying to save our life by finding ourselves a secure place in our skin, in our values, here in the world kingdom, trying to save our life by being ourselves, belonging, fitting in, joining up. The Lord Jesus says that's a losing way. That's a losing way. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. That's something we will not learn by experience on time. This is something we only learn by listening to the Lord Jesus and taking hold of the perspective which he brings out of the heavenly kingdom. 
seeking to save our life as it is, is not good preparation for eternity. Because this life of sin is not fit for eternity. It will be lost. Self-preservation in this way is the sure way of self-destruction. Apart from Christ and His work to deal with sin and all its effects, there is no lasting preservation. No matter what instinct says, no matter what the world says. Sinful instinct and a sinful world are not good advisors when it comes to your life. So why will all the efforts towards saving my life prove devastating loss in the end? Because life as it is, my life as I am in myself is under God's judgment. And no amount of effort, no amount of goods, no, no amount of self-preservation, no amount of help from the world kingdom will remove us from God's condemnation. But he who loses his life for Christ will find it. Losing one's life parallel to denying self, taking up a cross having no investment in myself the way I am in sin, having no investment in the world in sin, I lose myself in Christ alone and holy, clinging to Him by faith. And in that, while losing my life, apparently, we will discover, we will find that we have finally found life itself, true life, lasting, eternal, heavenly life. Because Christ has come on that way which opens the kingdom of heaven. Christ has paid for sin. Christ has defeated sin, removing the sin which keeps me from life because of God's condemnation. He who loses his life for Christ's sake, finding your all in him, will come out in life, life unending, kingdom of heaven. Verse 26, the Lord Jesus places an emphasis on the price of life. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The price for your life. Do you know what it is? If life here and now is your focus, your aim, your goal. If life here and now is all you worry about. Then the price for your life is not impossible. It is attainable. My life, this kind of life, my comfort here and now, my health, my next 10, 20 years, the price is this much. I can plan to get it like this. That'll work for here and now. We notice how our Bible translation speaks in this verse of the soul, verse 26, the soul. 
It's not a different word than the word translated life in the previous verse, and the footnote will also show that with, with the text. But our translation changes it in verse 26 to, to, from life to soul to, to give the idea, to, to give the hint that we're speaking about life here as more than just this life. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits, loses his life beyond this life? The whole world is not a high enough price to to buy you the future life. Or what will a man give in exchange for his life beyond this life? There is nothing in this life. Not the whole world, not anything that is sufficient to accumulate, to present, to pay the price so that I, a sinner, can live beyond this life. Cannot be done. The price cannot be found. Because money, because goods, because the things of this world do not pay the price for sin. Do not buy life. There's no amount that can do it. Sin must be paid for. Sin must be removed by payment for the door to eternal life to be open. Do you know the price for your life? The Lord Jesus makes it very clear. You you can be so busy in the pursuit of the things of this world, so busy with the things of man, and still entirely miss the point. When you die, you leave it all behind. And when you die, none of what you have accumulated gives any access to life beyond this life. When sin is not atoned, paid for, there is nothing in all creation that can help. Only Christ, Christ completely. Our identity must be in him, following him. That's true self-preservation. And when we see that, then, then the pursuits of this life will also gain better perspective. It is not everything here. It's certainly not life itself. Here, just because we have a breath or a heartbeat. The things we are so busy with. True life is God's gift to sinners. In His Son, the Messiah, who gave His blood, His life, as the payment for my life. When I have Christ, I have everything, even if I have nothing. If I have everything and not Christ... I have nothing. Life is in him, with him. I must follow him. Do I follow him? Do you follow him? Do your business at his cross. Following him, denying yourself, taking up your cross, finding life. Finally, the prophet, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will repay every man according to what he has done. 
whether whether this kind of life or or that kind of life. What stands out here at the end, towards the end of the text, as well as in verse twenty-eight, is that that the Son of Man is now the all-glorious one. He shares the glory of God. Jesus speaks about the the glory and and the angels. He has the kingdom of God, verse 28. In other words, while the way for the Son of Man would be rejection, suffering, death, Jesus had just said it, we read it before the text, while the way would be this, suffering, rejection, death, the end for him, The prophet for him is glory. There would be those who were standing there who would not taste death until they saw it with their own eyes. So the disciples of Jesus who were called to come on this difficult way, they they would see with their own eyes in Jesus' resurrection glory that the way of suffering profited greatly in the end, in the life to come. The way of the cross for Jesus, not a losing way at all. And the Son of Man who gained glory through suffering, he would be there, he will be there at the end, rewarding with the same glory he has, rewarding all those who made it their life to follow him. There will be great profit, if we can use that word. There will be great profit in the end when in this life you have made Jesus your life. It will be a hard road now, denying yourself, taking up your cross, losing your life. And it may appear to have no profit at all. You say, what is this kind of life? But the time will come, the time is coming, when the one whom you know has entered into his kingdom after suffering, time will come when he will reward you. Everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven after bearing your cross. The Lord Jesus has certainly made some strange equations he has taught us some some very odd business sense. It's like the Lord the Lord Jesus attracts our attention by by calling up these allusions to accounting business. The things you pay attention to to get ahead in this world, cost, loss, price, profit. And then the Lord Jesus turns it all upside down. He calls us to a different practice with different values filling in the equations in ways informed by the kingdom of heaven. It will make no sense to the world, to our own flesh. There will be times when we, when we say, but th- this is not making any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. The Lord Jesus reveals, teaches, shows us the prophet. The prophet is there in the end. On the other side, the gain is in the kingdom to come. Again, if you do the math without factoring in sin, you'll get it all wrong. 
bad business. Factor in sin, following Jesus, and the prophet numbers in the end will be glory, glorious, eternal glory with the Son of Man. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.